0: Startup for startup, sharing knowledge, experience, and insights from one startup to another. Hi, I'm Danny Lester. Thanks for joining me. When I think of the best team leads I've worked with, one of the common denominators they all share is the fact that their teams could run quite well without them. It's not that the team lead was useless, not at all. It's just that the team members were independent.
1: I think that my team, uh, they can work on their own.
0: This is Vitali Margolin, a senior team lead at the CRM cluster of Monday.com. He leads the CRM's developers. Whilst he's proud to say his current team members are fairly independent, this wasn't always the case. Prior to Monday, he led a bunch of developers that didn't really move an inch without him.
1: I can tell you that in my former company, I worked uh, as a CTO in a small startup, and my sister came for the summer to work for two months. She was a student. And then we went for the weekend at my parents, and she told my mom, oh, listen, you know, Vitaly in the company, everybody are talking about him. They're not doing anything without consulting him. Like every time someone needs something, they always call him and it's so amazing. And I was sitting on the sign and was like, oh my God, is it really true? Like, they, do they need me for everything? They can't do anything without calling me. And it hit me that my main thing as, as a manager for my team is to be redundant. Like, that's where I should s- strive. That will be an accomplishment for me. If, if, they, if my team doesn't need me, I did my job right. And I think that now we're we're almost there and those kind of debates are solved even without me And we reached a point of maturity where everybody understand each other's point of view so they can reach, kind of like agree on how they should do it.
0: So what did Vitaly do in order to stop being the leader who needs to be around constantly for things to happen? How did he make his team run self-sufficiently? At some point, he realized it all comes down to making your team members work well together so they won't need you to solve things every time something gets a little sticky. It's not easy, obviously, but Vitaly's mission was a common one, making a team out of his team members. The team leads I was talking to told me there's one principle they find crucial when making a team work well together. Caring for each other? I guessed naively. No. A strict hierarchy? I tried. No. They said again. I looked at the script, trying to get to the right answer. And then I saw it. Ownership, I said. Ta-da! Ownership sounds fantastic, but I'm afraid it's one of these words that sounds great as a headline And then when you try to define what it really means, you stutter. And by you, I mean me. What the hell does the word really mean practically? It's a very straightforward mentality, basically saying,
1: You're the owner of that feature, end to end, you know, the impact it does, the scale, the security, the technical things, and also the effects of customer. You're owning that. That's everything is on you. The people who do enjoy that kind of ownership, you you can let it go. They can do it. They don't need you. And if they need you, they'll come to you and ask questions and consult. And I'll be there for them.
0: All right. Now it really sounds fantastic. With strong ownership, the team lead knows exactly who's in charge of what and who will be reporting back to them with updates. But how does it help the individuals work better as a team? I asked Amy Jangregorio Gregorio this question. Amy is a customer success group manager at monday.com, leading the Scale CS Group, overall 17 people around the globe. Amy told me that she thinks ownership helps the team work together to achieve the KPIs.
2: I think first and foremost, it's important for the whole team to understand what are our goals for the team? What are we trying to accomplish? and, And how do we get there? And then once you're breaking it down into specific projects or specific things that need to get done, and you're assigning ownership to specific people, those people are aware they're they're owning this project, but it's driving towards the greater goals of the team.
0: Agreeing on the KPIs is kind of like setting a compass for the team. In the storm of a startup's life with mighty waves and strong winds, this compass is crucial for surviving. However, there might still be disagreements regarding the right path that will get you to the final goal you agreed on.
3: Case study:
1: We just came today from a brainstorming session about a feature that we, we should do. And on one side, the product manager says, listen, this queue, we need to reach a certain KPI. Uh, and in order to do this, we need this feature because it's, it's a huge enabler for our sales department. So the developer side, we are saying, listen, we can build this in this quarter, but just so you know that the quarter after that, when we'll want to develop the next thing, all this code we built, we'll need to delete it because it, it doesn't help us reach what we really want to reach next year. So now we have like kind of a debate and we're trying to compromise by saying, okay, let's see what can we develop, which will be a seed for future developments and where we are just, you know, startup style, growth hacking, and we know that we're gonna build something and we're gonna delete it later, but it's not gonna be a work of a whole queue. So it's gonna be a work of an iteration or iteration and a half.
0: By iteration, Vitali means two weeks of planned tasks.
1: And we're willing to delete this code later because we wanna make an impact this queue But we did build most of the things as something we can base on for the future. So then both sides are happy. We're also planning ahead, but also we're creating an impact.
2: Vitaly prefers
0: to include his team in the process. But if I were him, I'd want to set the KPIs by myself and find a good way to communicate them to my team. Luckily, Amy does just that.
2: I think the most important thing is introducing the team to the overall vision and the goals of the team. So before you introduce KPIs, what I always do is remind the team, like, what is our mission? What are we here to do? So for instance, in customer success, our ultimate mission is that customers are renewing with us. Customers are using the product. So one of the KPIs we use as a team to measure our goals is MAP. MAP. M-A-P-P. It stands for Monthly Active Paying People. How are we able to improve that? So before giving them a hard and fast, here are your numbers, here's what you need to accomplish, you need the team to understand what is the overall goal of the team, what's the purpose, and why are we here? And you need to make sure that both the team goals and the individual goals are aligned with that.
0: And yet, although Amy decides with the rest of the leadership team about the KPIs, she allows her team members on the Scale CS team to give their feedback about the KPIs later on. Dan Ennis, a team manager in Amy's group, learned a lot from her during the time he's been an individual contributor in her team. One of the things he loved is how Amy gave the team members a chance to speak their mind about the KPIs.
3: It was something that gave us a voice as team members to really feel we were contributing to it.
0: This feedback from the team members about the KPIs happens at the end of the quarter, as Amy describes.
2: What we do each quarter is we have a retro on the quarter as a whole. And as part of that retro, we also think about the KPIs and we get the team's feedback. Were they fair? Were they attainable? Did it make sense to them that this would be the KPI based on what the goals are of the team?
0: The retro Amy talks about is crucial not only KPI-wise. It's one of the tools that allows team leads to keep their finger on the pulse and get a macro look at what worked well in the last quarter or so and what should be improved.
2: We do quarterly retros with the team. I think it's especially important when you have a new team in place. You have to slow down at some point and look back and understand the team sentiment on all of the new things that you've rolled out, how things are going, where could there be changes? And uh, we have, you know, a column for what's going well, what's going great, you know, and, and what we should completely stop
3: doing. As a team member, it made me feel very valued. It made me feel like I've got a say in my career. It made me feel like I've got a say in how I'm being graded on and how I'm being looked at as an employee. And as a manager, it allowed Amy to get a great perspective from the team on how people were experiencing the KPIs. Were they motivating the right behavior? Because the whole point of KPIs is to encourage the behaviors that have the outcomes that we want in the role. And so um, it allowed Amy to really keep her ear to the ground on, is this motivating the behavior I want it to motivate?
2: We give the team 10, 15 minutes to, to fill out some cards there and share their feedback. Um, and I tend to do this without myself in the room so that the team feels like they can share their opinions without having their manager there. And they could speak freely with one another. And we get amazing feedback. And a lot of times we've taken that feedback and made some changes uh, pretty quickly based on it.
0: Retro isn't the only ritual worth maintaining. There are also 15-minute daily meetings some managers have in order to keep the team members aligned on what their colleagues are up to today. Another ritual is the weekly meetings, which are longer. Their purpose is to give every team member the stage to present what they've been working on this week, what progress they've made, and where they stand. Some of the rituals don't have a professional purpose, but are instead cultural or moral, however you want to call it
2: when we built the team, we also started remotely. So there was a challenge of building a culture with all the brand new team that didn't know what their role was going to be, what they were doing. Um, We were all remote. We weren't going to see each other. So one ceremony we put in place right away was making uh, each CSM on the team responsible for a daily post in Slack. And these were, Silly posts. For instance, Courtney on me, my team. Every Tuesday, she has "Too Cute Tuesday," where she has to post a photo of a cute animal, and that seems silly, but it actually was a ceremony that helped create um, like trust and camaraderie on the team. Getting each other to know, you know, getting each other to know each other personally was really important because the work was, you know, always evolving and it was tough. So having a ceremony that really related to building a culture was really important. And I would say that because of this, we got to know each other much quicker. We were able to laugh with each other and not take things so seriously all the time. And I think that was a ceremony that was really important from a cultural perspective.
0: Every team lead tries to create their own routines. When Vitaly started his team from scratch, he approached other team leads around him to hear how they run their routines.
1: Every team leader that I went to and asked for questions had different answers. They all had the same vision at the end, but they did it differently. Uh, so we, we learned, we tried until we understand what works best for us.
0: One of the things he tried to do differently was the iteration. Generally speaking, an iteration sometimes known as a sprint, is a specific timeframe during which a project takes place. The timeframe can be four weeks or two weeks, but the principle is to have objectives you want to achieve during this timeframe. Even if you have a six-month project, you'd often break it down into smaller iterations. Most of the team leads around Vitaly used a two-week iteration. He thought that a one-week iteration would be better for his team.
1: We started like iterations of one week and not two weeks. It didn't work well. We, we did it at first because we couldn't plan ahead enough. Uh, so we said, okay, let's spend a week in advance and then develop for one week. That was the iteration. The whole company works in a two weeks iteration and we worked in a one week iteration. It didn't work. Uh, we didn't have enough time to build enough things in one week it didn't feel like we were doing any impact in one week like the iteration ends and we're like so what did we do this week like nothing major it didn't create the sense of impact inside the team so then we moved back to two weeks which meant that the product side needed to plan more ahead they needed to work much harder in order for to get things ready for us so it took some time to balance our work and the product work so they are always a few steps ahead of us, creating the designs that we can work on. And at the start, it, it, it was definitely a challenge.
0: These routines, or ceremonies as some of us call them, are very helpful. The daily meetings, weekly meetings, retro and feedback talks that happen twice a year, they're all important for the team members' connections to each other and to the team's larger goals. Whilst the importance of all of this is clear, it doesn't explain how to create an atmosphere that encourages creativity, innovation, initiatives, and productivity. Dan Ennis can point out what has successfully created that kind of environment in the teams he's worked in over the years, including Amy's team.
3: So there's a mentality that Amy helped bring to the team of the idea that we know that this was a work in progress. When we joined, we know that this isn't fully built out. So encouraging the idea that it is better to try something. And as long as you're sharing your learnings, trying to understand how we can improve, there's only a benefit. So one of the things she did that I think helped create that atmosphere was highlight things, even if they weren't necessarily quote unquote successful. It was, man, this idea didn't work, but so-and-so tried something and it was a, a great idea to try this because we've been stuck on point X. And so it's a win to try in the environment that we were. It was, it's a win to try to think outside the box because that's how we do find the things that work. So that when then something else would be, Charlotte tried something brand new to tackle problem Y, and it worked. Guys, let's start doing some of what Charlotte was doing. You'd be willing to try those other things because it was an environment where it would be celebrated. So one of them was celebrating the non-traditional wins. Um, And that reminded me of this other leader I worked for who described it as you're never gonna get a speeding ticket here, but you will get a parking ticket. So his whole like mentality was, you're never gonna like for trying to do things, for trying to go outside, like I'm never gonna slap you on the wrist for that. That's never gonna be something that's punished on this team or like disciplined or you know what I mean? Like, but you will if like, you're just sitting there thinking like, oh, I'm just not achieving the goal and I'm not sure what it is. He's like, no, there's not speeding tickets, but parking tickets.
0: Most of the team leads I spoke with said that their biggest challenge had nothing to do with optimizing their iteration or defining the KPI. The real struggle, they said, was balancing the team's goals with the individual's goals and ambitions. If my team lead can find a way to help me fulfill my personal goals in a way that helps the team, that's the best win-win they and I could possibly get.
1: As an individuals, everybody has their own goals and you want to help them reach their goals. If it's personal growth, so maybe someone wants to become a tech lead or someone wants to become a team lead. So you want to help him using your experience, other experience, you want to point them in the right direction. Um, so I help them focus on also their goals and I help them reach their goals. Sometimes I help solve problems between designers and and engineers, and product, cross-teams, efforts. But hopefully, what, where I can reach is by taking someone from the team, making him a team lead, and I can go do other stuff.
2: Myself as a manager, it's something that I'm consistently asking team members, like where do they see themselves, and where do they want to grow and develop? And I look at that, and I try to understand what they need to do to get there.
1: So for example, the latest developer we got to the team uh, was a senior developer. And he really wants to be a tech lead. So as a tech lead, you do cross-company efforts, right? You don't work on tasks only for the team. You take tasks which are much more complex on a company level, which doesn't necessarily help your team. But maybe there are tasks on a company level that help the whole company, but also help you. And we, if we can find those, everybody are happy. So he spends a lot of his time on scopes, which are out of scope of the CRM, but eventually they create a lot of value
0: for us. The more classic cases are those of team members who want to be team leads someday in the future. Amy has a few CSMs, customer success managers, that want to follow this path.
2: So for instance, we have opportunities for CSMs to mentors to new hires. So if I have a CSM on my team who is looking to develop leadership skills, this is an excellent opportunity for them to have that as a personal goal for the quarter. So their goal would be to help onboard and mentor a new hire. And I would check in with that regularly during one-on-ones and and make sure that they're moving towards that, uh, reaching that goal. Um, For example, I have uh, someone on my team who has very different interests. She actually is interested more in um, customer marketing and creating email campaigns, which luckily is something that we do on the scale team. So I was able to give her more projects that were related to that so that she can continue to work on her own professional development and those skills while simultaneously still working on the KPIs that drive the team. Dan started at
0: Monday as an individual contributor. So he didn't manage a team. During his time in Amy's team, he decided he wanted to make a change and lead a team, and Amy helped him a lot to get there. She did that partly by delegating.
3: Amy was and is an incredible delegator. She's really great at when a task comes in to say, this is something that I should handle as the leader and something that I don't need to handle. Therefore, this means, by definition, this is a great opportunity for somebody else to grow and handle this. I know i benefited from her being willing to delegate. Others have benefited from that. And for myself, as someone whose personality is, great, tell me what I need to do, I'll roll up my sleeves, let's do this, I've had to be really intentional, especially in my new role, about making sure to delegate, about when something comes in, to not ask the question, can I do this, to ask the question, do I need to be the one to do this? when you're the leader, right? So the question is, if, if you're the leader and you don't need to be the one to do this, the best thing sometimes you can do for the team is not be the one to do it, to invite somebody else in by delegating. So that's something that Amy, I don't know if she has to work hard at it, it doesn't look like it, right? She just does that really, really well. For me, that's something I have to work really intentionally at, it doesn't come naturally to me.
0: Vitaly also tries to give more and more responsibility to team members who want to grow in a certain direction.
1: Another example, may be someone that wants to be a team lead and we can identify team lead material inside him. And so we're saying, let's give him more responsibility. You know, he can take some of the meetings that I usually lead, he can lead them, gives me much more time to do other things. So. It maybe takes some of his time of developing work, but it frees my time and I can do other things. So it helps the team in another way and promotes him, which is also good for the team and for the company.
3: We've
0: covered quite a few tools in this episode. We started with ownership and why it facilitates teamwork. Then we covered the importance of KPIs for running the team properly, and how we can not only set KPIs, but also improve them as time passes. Then we spoke about some standard and yet crucial routines that help team members stay aligned with each other. Later on, we heard how to create a work environment that supports creativity and initiatives. And finally, we got to the delicate balance between team KPIs and personal goals, and heard from Amy and Vitaly on how to use these personal goals for the good of the team. If I needed to find the common ground in all of the things we've talked about, I'd have to say communication. You might be thinking, ownership is not communication. But if you take a macro look, you'd see that all the things we talked about have pretty much the same goal, to keep the team aligned and synchronized.
2: My advice for, for, for first becoming a manager is there is a lot that you're going to have to figure out in terms of, you know, figuring out processes and procedures and playbooks. And I would say the first thing you should prioritize before that is, is getting to know your people. And as a new manager, I think the best thing that you can do is have one-on-ones with your team members and learn about them. Learn about what motivates you in a role. What don't you like about a role? You know, where do you see yourself in three years, five years? Make sure you understand what makes that person tick and that you've established your relationship with them. These
0: one-on-ones don't have to be professionally focused, though. Actually, sometimes it shouldn't be professional. If a manager is capable of getting to know his team members personally, go beyond the work stuff and really care for them, that's the win. It might also be the extra mile that helps the employees to fully bring themselves to the role. Dan already knew the importance of this personal touch. You probably knew it too and didn't need this episode for that. And yet knowing and internalizing are different. And Dan really internalized the importance of this in December 2021.
3: My dad passed away really unexpectedly in December. And so getting to experience that human first leadership from Amy and countless others at the org, this was not limited to just Amy, but it was a good example of the way that, that Amy does that. And is just, you're asking, Hey, do you need anything? Like not just work-wise, what do you need? Like, what can we do? Um, that goes a long way. And so that's something that I've been intentional to carry forward with the team as well, because when people feel that they can bring their whole self to work, when they feel that they can be whole people and not just a worker that's having to pretend that other things don't exist, then from there, it really truly like enables people to, to thrive. It enables people to bring their best, do their best, be their best, when they're not worried about having to hold part of themselves back.
0: It's not about productivity, really. It's not even about work. Caring about your team members really goes beyond being successful professionally. It's just the right thing to do. Happily, being a nice, empathetic human being also helps our work. We started the episode with Vitaly realising how dependent his employees were and how they couldn't move without involving him. The principles we mentioned here all serve the same purpose, to avoid the situation Vitaly experienced by making your team members work well as a team.
1: I was always afraid that if a decision is to be made, decision will be made without me. It's like a fear. It's out of my reach. I can't control it. I have to understand what's going on. I learned to trust the engineers in a way that you know, they can do it. They don't need me they've proven themselves enough, just let them run. And even if they'll fail, and it's okay to fail, it's not that if I make an old decision, I'm always correct. I make a lot of mistakes as well, which is fine. They need to know that as well, that they can fail.
0: All right, let's sum things up. We covered quite a few principles and actions that Amy and Vitali use in their everyday work. The importance of establishing a close relationship with the team members is clear, as well as the routines that keep everyone synchronized. But in order to take your management and your leadership to the next level, you'll need more than that. A moment ago, Amy mentioned how crucial it is to get to know every team member. However, it's not only about knowing them. Equally important is learning how to give them feedback. More on that in the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've just heard, hit the follow button. You're also more than welcome to our LinkedIn group, Startup for Startup, where you'll be able to find more content and potential networking. Another place that deserves your attention is our website, startupforstartup.com. I want to thank Guy Bin Nunn, our writer and senior producer. Our crew also has the wonderful Adva Shusgal and Daria Wertime, who are our content editors. Leo Krengel leads the initiative. Yoav Ayalon is our opera singer. And Gal Roddity is our mix engineer, alongside Hilly Boy Mel. I'm Danny Lester, more to come, so stay tuned.